Hi everyone, welcome back. This is Jacob Joyce coming to you again after a brief hiatus. We just finished our 10 days, 10 Mahler symphonies cycle here at Attention to Detail. And I'm coming to you from, from quarantine in Michigan and I'm joined by my quarantine partner here, I guess kind of co-host, recurring guest as he appeared on our, our most recent episode as well, my brother Josh. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Jacob. It's great to be back on the podcast. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be back again and hopefully I'll be back for more. Yeah, I, um, you, you threw out a challenge on, on the last one or you said that you, know, you would significantly boost our downloads given your presence on the podcast. And I have to say, I can report to you that as of today, you are our second most downloaded episode of the past 30 days, behind only Mahler 1. The second highest ranking one is Mahler 10, so pretty impressive. Okay. Clearly, you've got a little bit of a global reach here in the podcasting world. So. Uh, and I gotta say, Mahler 10 is definitely not number two on the list of most famous Mahler symphonies, so yeah, it, speaks, it speaks for itself. There you go. Well, congrats. I'm, I'm impressed by your, uh, your numbers here. So anyway, so today we thought we'd bring you, in the midst of this long quarantine, we imagine that a lot of our listeners have some extra time on their hands, maybe getting a little stir-crazy, a little uh, itching for some entertainment. And so we thought we'd give you something that in our house, actually, when I was a kid growing up, I did this a lot. Josh, I think you still do this to this day, but it's it's something that a lot of people do when they listen to classical music, which is they skip to the end and they only listen to the last two, three minutes of especially symphonies, because there are symphonies that end so bombastically, excitingly, that uh, they're just so fun to, it's it's fun to just skip to the very end and listen to the, the ends of symphonies. A little bit like eating ice cream for breakfast or just skipping the entree and going straight to the dessert, but but Josh, this is a pastime of yours, am I correct? You are, absolutely. Um, I love skipping to the end sometimes, you know. Obviously, now is an exception, but sometimes you just don't have an hour and a half to listen to an <laughs> entire symphony, and um, sometimes you'll fall asleep in the middle. I'm guilty of that, but <laughs> at the end, you're always awake and aware, so it's always fun to bring out your bring out your favorite endings. Yeah, well, so we decided what better thing to do to give everyone out there, if, if you're in the mood for a little pick-me-up, a little optimism, a little jolt of adrenaline, we wanted to bring you our top 10 symphony endings. So I've tasked Josh... Um, with picking five of what we would consider ranking your top five more standard symphonic endings. So we kind of had, we've been talking about it. There's a lot of really famous endings to pieces. There will be a lot that we don't include, like the 1812 Overture from Tchaikovsky. A lot of people know that one. William Tell Overture, Rossini. But Josh, you've come up with your, your top five of more standard stuff, and then I have tasked myself with pulling five really good endings from deep cuts, as we want to say it, things that probably very few of our listeners will have heard before, and so if you're a seasoned veteran like we are of skipping to the end of symphonies and only listening to the last three minutes, it's possible that my selections you still haven't heard, so there'll be something new for you, but... I figured, Josh, do you want to kick us off and start us off with uh, talk to me just for a sec about some of the things that were in contention and where you settled? Because I know there was there's there's a couple things on the bubble. So where did you settle with your number five? Absolutely. So I picked five symphonies. I actually this was a very easy choice for me because I had written a paper in high school about my top five symphonies as one of my final senior projects in one of my classes. So I already had the list. But I went back and I re-examined, and some things that were on the bubble were Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, an incredible ending, but it, for me it was just a little too standard. Um, I wanted to go a little bit out of the box, even though I was usually in the more standard camp. Um, also on the bubble, there was M Mozart's Jupiter Symphony, 
nice. which is a it's just a classic ending as well. I just I thought it wasn't quite brassy enough for me. I'm a big brass guy, so that one didn't quite make the cut. In addition, um, Beethoven Seven is an incredible yeah. ending, but the, I I couldn't I couldn't have five Beethoven symphonies for my right. top five. I had to be a little you know I had to di- diversify the portfolio. Yeah, we we set a limit one. Uh... One ending per composer max. Yes. Okay. So, what's your fifth one that you settled on? So the fifth symphony. So my fifth symphony. It's not actually a symphony. It's a tone poem. But my fifth best ending is "Pictures at an Exhibition" by Mussorgsky. Um, the Great Gate of Kiev is the last movement in the tone poem. So if you're not familiar with "Pictures at an Exhibition," it's a tone poem that focuses on. Pictures at an exhibition, for lack of a better yeah. word. It's a lot of drawings that Mussorgsky saw um, at an art museum, and he decided to create, um, I think, 11-movement tone yeah, poem. Yeah, that's right. Ele- yeah, 11-movement tone poem, and they're the, just these little short snippets that are based on these pictures. And the last movement, which is the Great Gate of Kiev, is this incredibly brassy, loud, majestic ending that um, is supposed to depict this great gate of kiev which is um if you look up the picture to me it actually doesn't really look incredibly majestic or doesn't doesn't have quite the amount of grandeur but it all came from masorsky's imagination and it's a great ending you'll hear a lot of big brass and some gongs at the end yeah um really a lot a lot of fun i really enjoy it so we should mention too that in masorsky's original version this piece was actually written for piano, and what you'll hear, we're choosing the orchestral version, which is one of the most famous orchestrations, if not the most famous orchestration that's ever been done, taking a piano piece, setting it to orchestra, by the most famous orchestrator of all time, Maurice Ravel. And so the melody, the content is Mazorksky's, the realization, the orchestration is Ravel's, and so you're really getting two composers for the price of one in this piece. You get Mazorsky's grandeur and drama, but also the orchestration, all of these ideas of the gong, the big brass. That's from the genius that was Ravel. So you said you liked brass. I pulled a very brass-heavy recording. If you ever need a brass-heavy recording, we'll come back to these at other points on this episode. You always go to Schulte conducting the Chicago Symphony. Those are the most famous recordings that... The brass plays incredibly loudly. So here's Schulte Chicago Symphony playing the end of Great Gate of Kiev. Pretty sweet choice. Hard, hard to say that that's only the fifth on your list. Yeah, yeah. we have we have a real murderer's row coming up for you. So yeah. stay tuned. And I should mention on this episode might be a little longer musical clips than normal because we want to get as much of these endings as we can, also in a short period of time. But uh, obviously, we're we're taking the last minute or two from these things. Some of these things have fantastic. They're they're fantastic pieces but they also have long fantastic endings so we encourage you this is just a list of recommendations go and listen to the whole thing when you when you get a chance so i'm up i think 
what should I go with first? I don't know that I ranked mine, but I'll, I'll do it quickly right now. Um, I'm going to start with Britton, Benjamin Britton, one of the, I think, the greatest English composer of all time. And this is a really interesting one. Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra. This is a piece that, based on the name, uh, it's really played, it's actually a piece with narrator that a lot of our listeners may have heard if they went to a kid's concert when they were a kid or something like that. It actually takes you through and explains all of the families of instruments, all of the instruments in the orchestra in a very kid-friendly way. It was written specifically for a young person to learn about the orchestra. What's incredible is that the last movement, after he's introduced all of these instruments, he started the beginning of this piece by playing this theme that becomes the theme. It's kind of a theme in variations where all of the instruments of the orchestra play this theme. The theme is originally from the also British composer Henry Purcell, hundreds of years before. But then Britton, who is a fantastic composer, decided let's not just make this a trivial young person's piece. In the last movement, he actually writes what's called a fugue, really complicated musical genre, where voices enter one by one. And he writes this fugue in score order. So when the conductor looks at a score, the top line is the piccolo, you get all the woodwinds, then you get the brass, then you get the strings, then you get the percussion. And so in score order, we hear all the instruments of the orchestra enter, this frantic fugue. And then we're getting all of this fast few kind of perpetual motion material and the theme, the Purcell theme, comes back in triumphantly. It's actually not only an incredible ending, but an incredible feat of composition. So here's the end fugue of Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra by Britton. As I said always, I love Big Brass. That's an incredible Big Brass ending. And um, as some of your listeners may not know, I was a percussionist back in the day. So yeah. I always like um, some good snare drum in the background. So that was also <laughs> also a benefit. You did have some legendary percussion solos back in the day. Pioneer High School Band. Pioneer High School Band. I was in it for, in it for two years and then I decided to take my talents to the to the water and stay in a boat instead of being on the drums all the time. Exactly. Um, all right, so what do you got uh, number four? So number four, which is probably, arguably, the most famous ending of all time, which is Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Um, though you may be confused, I'm not talking about the Ode to Joy. That is actually not the ending of this piece. That's midway through the last movement of the Ninth Symphony, which is a very famous theme, which is the which I'm sure everybody has heard back at home. But the ending of this piece, it kind of plays on that Ode to Joy theme, and it picks up really, really fast instead of kind of having that constant tempo throughout the whole piece. It picks up very quickly at the end, and you'll, as you'll hear, it's an incredibly... Um, exciting and fun race to the finish. Yeah, it's uh, it's the Ode to Joy is is the famous part of the Ninth Symphony, but the whole symphony is is a great piece, a choral piece, and so you'll hear a choir singing at the end, a very uplifting, positive, humanistic message for this uh, tough time of coronavirus quarantine. So here's the very end of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Thank you. 
so we're a little look behind the curtain. We're really having to take a sec to just calm the adrenaline down after listening to these endings. I should mention a lot of the music we're playing on this podcast. It's it's going to be like by the end of this podcast, it's going to be like having eaten ten scoops of ice cream without having any buffer in between because we're we're just giving you the very end. But these are great pieces. These are great endings. So. If you want to take a little more time, go and earn some of them. Listen to the whole last movement or something like that because they're worth it. I completely agree, especially with a piece like the Ninth Symphony where you have that incredible last movement. You really you really have to take the time to sit down, at least listen from the Ode to Joy, which is about midway through because from the Ode to Joy on, it's really just building and you're, you're steeped in anticipation until the last few bars. Yeah, and that'll be a theme for our... Uh our episode today because there are a lot of other pieces that also just slow steady build all the way to the end so I guess it's uh, my turn again now I am going to give my next one which I think I'm going to go with uh, piece one of my all time favorite pieces piece that I am imagining very few people know the Janacek Sinfonietta one of the reasons why this is not super well known well first of all Janacek, for some reason, is not a super well-known composer. I think Janacek is one of the, if not the single most underrated composers that we have in classical music, maybe alongside Britain. I I really think Janacek and Britain are two of really, like, borderline A-list composers, uh, similar to the Schumanns, Mendelssohns, uh, Dvorak's of the world, but they don't get as much credit. But part of the reason why the Sinfonietta specifically is not played very much is because it calls for nine extra trumpet players plus some other trombone players. There's this whole extra brass band that plays in this piece in addition to the three or four trumpets that are called for in the actual symphony setup. And so this ending... You, you like brass, Josh. You're going to hear some major, major brass playing at this ending because we've got something like 15 trumpets on stage, seven trombones, couple tubas. And again, this is the culmination of a big buildup in this whole last movement. It's actually a short piece. It's only 20 minutes long or so total. So a great listen. But here's the very end of Janacek's Sinfonietta. So I've got a question for you, Josh. Tough, tough question. If you were a composer, do you, are you a fan of the short last note, like what we just heard? Are you a fan of holding the last note really long time and then having it end like that? Do you like the punctuation at the end or do you like the, the long last note? I actually generally like holding that last note for a really, really, really long time so you can see the you know, the the conductor really waving his hand, asking for more, and then yeah. you're waiting until the finish, and then it happens, and there's the little kind of... It's not it's not a staccato punctuation, but I just like a build from a quiet last note, yeah, and then it builds, builds, and then builds, 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 and then a release. I see, yeah. See, I've, I've never been able to decide if I was writing a symphony. Would I add the little, like here, little punctuation at the end, or do you just build... I think I also like the long note build to the end. One piece we're not going to include is uh, Stravinsky's Firebird, one of the best endings of all time. That one is an excellent example. Super long, last note, builds up, releases, great ending. All right, so we're on your number three, I think. We are on my number three, and again, as we were talking about long notes at the end, we're going to get a great long brass note here for Brahms 2, which is 
one of my favorite uh, endings of all time. I was able to see um, the New York Phil perform this piece. Again, I, you know, I, I am guilty of sometimes not paying attention during these <laughs> long symphonies. Um, Brahms 2 is definitely one of those, but you will have your attention set on the stage when this ending starts, and it's incredible. There's so much brass. It's regal, stately, to the finish. Incredible last note there from the French horns, I believe. Uh, trombones. Trombones, excuse trombones. me. I'm going to have to... Uh respectfully disagree with you because the entire Brahms symphony merits attention and so nobody should fall asleep during this piece. You're yes. a terrible, terrible example for it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it is a fantastic piece. All of the movements, I think we've talked about it on this podcast before, all of the movements are gems, including the last. But if you remember correctly, talking about our endings, we'll preview this for our listeners. You're going to hear a big brass chord, as you said. But this one, like the Janacek, actually ends with those short punctuations, right? It has, it has the short punctuations, but the last note, it has a long brass note and then two punctuations. Yeah. And then the last one, you can hold it. Yeah, the last one is a hold. Keep right. it. And, and so it's an excellent uh, build-up note. So here's the ending. we got to go back to my personal favorite recording of this again, Schulte with Chicago. This is the recording I grew up with. The first recording I ever listened to, it was in our car growing up, and I listened to it driving to school pretty much every day for three years, so I know this recording decently well. So here's the ending of uh, Brahms 2. turn again. Uh, this one I'm going to go with another piece that I'm imagining very few of our listeners know, but a phenomenal piece. Again, like the Janacek, very infrequently heard both because of the composer and because of the size. This is from Schoenberg's Girl Leader. Schoenberg, generally people, I've actually, I think I've mentioned this piece also on the podcast before. Schoenberg is most famously known for being a kind of abstract expressionist and hypermodern composer. He wrote 12-tone, atonal music. But what fewer people maybe know is that Schoenberg originally was really a, a kind of fan, almost disciple of Richard Wagner, one of the most famous romantics of all time. And Schoenberg's very early works were very Wagnerian, hyper-romantic, very tonal. And this girl leader piece is a massive, what's called a cantata, it has soloists, choirs, requires over 200 performers, but it's a fantastic piece. And the last movement, as we've been talking about, this slow but steady build with choir and orchestra. So here's the very end of this girl leader uh, piece by Schoenberg, the third part, it's in three parts, and at the very end we get this transformative uh, movement that just grows and grows and grows, one of my all-time favorite endings to one of my all-time favorite pieces. If you've got a little time in this quarantine and you want to hear something totally new and fantastic, Girl Leader might be the way to go. So here's the end to uh, Schoenberg's Girl Leader.
So one thing I like about that ending, there are other endings like this in music. Mahler's third symphony is this way. But uh, the text of the ending is this is a movement where the sun is rising, greeting the morning. Uh, it's about the lights, the first beams of sunlight coming up. And it's not so much a just bombastic celebratory. It's this kind of transformative, slow build. And then it just culminates, blossoms into some huge sound. Mahler's Third Symphony ends that way too, different from a lot of other uh, Mahler endings. But I figured we had to feature one transformative, slow building ending as well. And I, I love the, the end of that piece. Um, all right, so Josh, we are we're getting to the the all time uh, highlights here. So what do you got for number two on your list? All right, for number two again, it's not technically a symphony; it is technically a tone poem. But we're gonna go with the Pines of Rome, the Pines of Appian, the Appian Way by Ottorio Respighi. Ottorino. Um, what's that? Ottorino. Ottorino. Tough Excuse name me. to pronounce. <laughs> Did not. The end was silent. I was. I yeah, and it's thought. silent. Yeah. <laughs> But um, but yeah, but anyways, he um, so he wrote this piece, um, under suspect motives, I believe. I think it was to glorify the Italian fascist republic at the time. So that's correct. The motives are not necessarily the best. Yeah. But he really wrote something pretty incredible that is supposed to depict this Roman army marching down the Appian Way on a triumph after a victorious battle, which is a very obviously fascist, you know, yeah. nationalist image, but still the Pines of the Appian Way and talk about an incredible build. You would really be selling yourself short if you did not listen to this five minute long little section. We're probably only going to play for you a portion yeah. of it, but I would highly recommend listening to the entire movement. It is quite the build and it ends with some incredible percussion. Um, timpani, Really, really hitting those hitting those drums very, very hard. Yeah. Some incredible brass as well. I, I really love this ending. Yeah, this, as you mentioned, it's uh, the last movement. The whole piece is great, but the last, it's about four fountains in Rome. Uh, there's a fountains in Rome, sorry, this is about Pines of Rome. He wrote both Fountains of Rome and Pines of Rome. I actually prefer Fountains of Rome, but the last movement of Pines of Rome is, is amazing. And as you mentioned... Fascist motives, but uh, we don't need to hear it that way. We can just hear it as an army marching slowly but surely down the Appian Way. And as you said, the timpani from the very start of this movement starts playing this march rhythm, just dum, 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 over and over. And it's a steady build, what we call a crescendo in music, all the way to the super, super loud uh, ending where the army is right in front of you. So here's the very end, but like Josh said, go listen to the full five minutes. It's, it's well worth your time. That's the place to go. Listen, I am a proponent, as I will disclose here very shortly, I'm a proponent proponent of using classical music as a both pre-workout and close-to-the-workout pump-up uh, 
mechanism. I know most people don't agree with me on that. I am one of those people. You don't agree? I do not agree, but there are, there are a select few, like that piece and the one I will talk about in a few minutes here. Yeah. I'll leave that up to, uh, I'll leave, I'll leave, keep it mysterious for now, but... Yeah. Generally, I do not, but that is, that's one exception where you can really get the adrenaline pumping at the end. Yeah, listen, if we had more people when you're sitting in the locker room with your Beats headphones on, you want to really improve your athletic performance, go out and win a game, throw on some pints of rum. Ditch the whatever you guys listen to these days, and uh, I'm talking to you specifically, Josh, but, but ditch that, listen to some pints of rum. Try it for your next race. I bet you'll uh, improve your time by like three or four seconds. We'll see. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I race in boats with seven other people. Convince so. them all. Convince them all to listen to Pines of Rome one time. And I see think what that'll, that'll that'll be a tough sell, but maybe if they listen to this podcast, <laughs> tell them to listen to the podcast. Yeah, I'll tell them to come. There you go. Exactly. All right. So my turn again. I'm getting to my final few. So I'm actually for my last two. I'm gonna go uh, to Scandinavia. And my second one, I'm going to leave my last one. Uh, I'll do two in a row because we're going to save yours for last. But my second place one, I only put it in second because it's not actually the end of the whole symphony. But it's Sibelius's Fifth Symphony. The, end, the, the actual end to the symphony is also really good, but super weird and interesting. I encourage people to go, the weirdest ending that we have in music, maybe. Uh, I encourage people to go listen to the last movement of Sibelius Five, But for me, what really takes the cake is the end of the first, or some people call it the second movement, of Sibelius Five. The first two quote-unquote movements are played together. So it's really the end of the first movement. Um, and this one, let me tell you, if you want to get revved up and excited, nothing better than the end of the first movement of Sibelius Five. So here's the ending of the first movement of Sibelius V, my personal favorite recording, Hugh Wolf with the uh, Frankfurt Radio Symphony. Hugh Wolf happens to be my conducting teacher, but, but no one paid me to, to say this. This is actually just my favorite rendition of this piece. So here's uh, ending of first movement, Sibelius V. Like the uh, I like the quick unexpected finish. That was that was that was cool. I like the little 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 additions of brass there though. Yeah. That was that was nice. But I liked how it was speedy and then it just came yeah. up on you. Boom! It's it done. It speeds up and actually it ends interestingly. There's a big there's this big uh, debate about this ending because you're going along. Music is generally arranged in groups of two and four and eight, and you're going along in all of these groups of four. And normally a piece would end on the first beat of those four, what we call a downbeat. This one seems to end on the fourth beat of the four, which is like the weakest beat. And so that's why it feels so like sudden that it abruptly stops. And so there's like a, if you're conducting this in, in four, there's a question, should you do the, the very end in three, like three, and then the last beat note is like another downbeat, or do you do it? You stay in four, and it's like a weird offbeat. It's an interesting... Our listeners don't need to concern themselves with that, but it's an interesting ending because it doesn't end where we expect it to. We're flying along in this steady pace, and then it suddenly just ends, as you said. So I'll do one more. As I said, staying in Scandinavia. This one, uh, for me, is 
actually at the moment, I might change my mind at this at some point, but at the moment, my favorite lesser known ending to a symphony, and this one again, you really have to listen to the last movement. This is Nielsen's fourth symphony called The Inextinguishable. And this last movement is famous because it features what's called a timpani battle. That's what it's called. There's two timpanists and they play this stuff. It sounds like a battle. They play stuff off each other and it's almost like they're fighting and this is supposed to enact some sort of battle scene. And it's really incredible to listen to. But then at the end, we get this melody that we've been introduced to way back at the beginning of the symphony that kind of inextinguishable melody if you want to call it that and it comes back transformed here at the end in this incredible sunny blossoming ending to this symphony and I want to play for you the very end of, of this symphony and I encourage you this is what I use the symphony is subtitled inextinguishable so when you're on the treadmill and you're completely done and you you know you want to push yourself an extra three minutes Throw on the inextinguishable symphony. Tell yourself that you're inextinguishable yourself. Turn the treadmill up to 15, sprint, listen to this, and then call it a day on your workout. I That's that's my routine. I highly recommend it. Get get a little extra burn in there at the, at the very end. So here's the end of uh, Nielsen's fourth, the inextinguishable symphony. So yeah, you get to hear at the end there, one timpanist clearly prevails. I love that ending because you've had this battle and then one prevails, plays this super loud stuff over and then the orchestra is playing this this inextinguishable melody from the opening. What do you think of that one? That's, that's a great ending. Talk about a build on the last note. That's really... Yeah. And I also, as I said, I was a percussionist back in the day, and when you're given free reign on the timpani to bang as hard as you possibly can, uh, nothing is more fun or audibly fun to listen to, so oh, I love yeah. that. That's why we put in time in the gym, so that you can, uh, you can play that last portion of the uh, Nielsen 4 as loud as you possibly can. Absolutely. we got to get you back on the timpani at some point. It's, it's you know, if, if you can tune it well, it's not that hard because you just kind of, especially on those last few notes, it's a lot of it is just kind of banging, but if you, you really need to have a decent sense of rhythm, but the tuning is the hardest part because it's a pedal tuner. Right. Um, that's very hard when you have to go mid-piece and tune it. Tuning is hard, but also the best orchestral timpanists man, do they have a... You'd think it's it's just hitting the drum. They have this incredible ability. They have to choose their mallets. They have to choose... You know, there's a zillion different strokes. And when I've talked to timpani players uh, professionally, kind of talking about, you know, what mallet are we going to use here, what sound, they're the smallest, minutest changes that they can make, but they are so... Because admittedly, all they really do if you're a timpanist is hit a drum. But 
they have such a finely tuned sense of how to hit a drum. And when you see, there is nothing more impressive than seeing an incredible timpani player play the timpani. One of the, um, we have, I, I know a ton of fantastic timpanists, but uh, I think the most impressive thing I ever saw was the timpanist of the Boston Symphony, a guy named Tim Jenis, playing Rite of Spring, which is one of the most difficult, timp but also most virtuosic timpani passages. And it was just like, oh my God, this guy is on another level. And you, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's one of my favorite instruments, actually, in the orchestra. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty incredible. It so, is. let's uh, go to your last one, the last one that we've got on our list of 10 here, and what you've determined to be your all-time number one ending. Give it to us. And I think uh, this is going to be backed by popular opinion. I think a lot of people will agree with me on the fact that Mahler's Second Symphony is the greatest ending to a symphony of all time. You, If you had tuned into the podcast earlier, I'm sure you've heard a lot about Mahler II, the entire symphony, the resurrection. It's an incredible symphony. I recommend listening to the entire thing. You've got plenty of time in this quarantine. It's a, it's a pretty long one, but the rewards at the end are incredible. This last passage incorporates a choir. It has really big brass. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, it's every conductor's dream to be able to conduct this symphony because... <laughs> Um, you can you can also look up videos. I would recommend watching a video of it while you're doing it. Bernstein, yeah. I recommend. Um, he's going crazy on the podium uh, at the <laughs> ending. You can see him. He's really just looks like a kid having fun up there. Um, and I would I would be the same. It's just a such a fun, riveting ending. There's actually a video on YouTube that our listeners can go watch called Mahler Enthusiasm. And it's a compilation of conductors conducting the very end of this piece with varying levels of enthusiasm that go up to extreme. So I highly recommend people go uh, watch that, that video. But here's the end. We'll play a little bit extra of this because this is our top-ranked ending of all time. Uh, so here's the end of Mahler's Second Symphony. Pretty good final choice. That'll, that'll get you jacked up, that's for sure. Yeah, congrats on uh, that. was a good list you came up with there, and, and especially the last one, but really all of them. And as you mentioned, a lot of honorable mentions too, but, but that's our list of, of five of the top five standard endings, five endings you might not have heard before. We've actually got uh, 
I've got one more bonus for you and our listeners because okay. I wanted to include this one, a little humor to end the day. But here's a real ending to a symphony. It might be my favorite uh, <laughs> from a from a comedy perspective. Might be my favorite. I chose a live recording of this piece because it's important to hear it live. But this is the actual piece. So let me play for you the ending of of this symphony by. One of the most famous jokesters in the history of music, uh, Franz Joseph Haydn. to include that one you get to hear on the live recording they actually trick the audience they start applauding then the orchestra comes back in and everyone's like wait what 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 happened turns out that is actually written in the score he writes writes a fake ending so all this stuff that sounds like an ending and then you have four full bars of rest silence which is written in the score it's not even like take a little bit of time. It's specified how much time exactly. He just writes four silent bars. And then he picks it up in this totally different key, super quietly. It's entirely just a fake ending written in there to be a jokester. This is the same composer who wrote the Surprise Symphony, which is where he wrote kind of intentionally boring and soft music to trick those who weren't listening carefully into going into sleep. And then super loud stuff to wake them up, make them jump out of their chair. So we had to include this this one uh, humorous ending at the end as well. So that's our list of, I guess, 11 of our fit most favorite uh, symphonic endings. Josh, I want to thank you as always for, uh, for joining us. What are your plans for, when are you actually getting, we're recording this, you know, 10 feet apart because technically you are still uh, fully quarantined. So when are you getting out and we uh, playing some some games? I'll be I'll be out hopefully uh, by tonight. So hopefully tonight we'll be able to resume full contact. I have not had contact with other human beings in thirteen days. So <laughs> yeah, I, we're. I have a feeling mom and dad aren't gonna let you out quite tonight. Might have to wait another day or two. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Hopefully they're hopefully they're nice. But I do have a mask, so I can I can come upstairs. You do have a mask. Yeah. So anyways, we hope everyone else out there is is staying safe, staying sane, have some stuff to do. And if you find yourself with a little extra time, either fast forward, get the little dessert, some of our favorite endings, or just listen to the full last movement, whole piece of these fantastic pieces. And you know you will be rewarded handily at the end. So as always, thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with with much more content to bring you during this uh this long coronavirus quarantine and we will be so keep an eye out as always remember to rate subscribe review and we'll be back shortly we look forward to seeing you soon